getting to the word with you this week. I, I hope you've had a good week. It's been kind of busy around here, but in good ways, uh, which is kind of nice to say in the world of COVID to have a busy week. But um, won't go into that. We're here for the word. So if you've got a Bible, uh, grab it. We're going to be in Colossians as we have been. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and remind you that this is not church. This is just us working through the word of God. But we do have church tonight here in Tempe, Arizona, and you're welcome to be part. If you're um, local to the East Valley, we'd love for you to come and join us, hang out. Uh, if you'll message us online or you can uh, send us an email or uh, reach out to us any number of ways. You can find us on the website, whatever, and just let us know that you want to come hang out. We'd love for you to come. We'll tell you how to get here exactly where we are. And... Um, uh, as far as that goes, anybody's welcome. <laughs> Say that every week, but I remind you, anybody's welcome. And we have had people here from uh, from all over the country, and and even from uh, overseas a couple of times, which has been awesome. So, any event, we're going to jump in the Word. We're in Colossians chapter two. I've reminded you every week. I'll remind you again of Colossians three three, which is our theme through uh, this discussion, and we've kind of been talking about knowing who you are. Um, and Colossians 3.3 pretty much answers that. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God as believers. So we'll come back into that later. But right now we're going to jump into Colossians 2. Uh, I'm going to read it and then pray and then we'll jump in. Colossians 2, verse uh, 16. Oh, and by the way, headset's gone, folks. Uh, I'm hoping this thing works because for me it's so much easier. I have... Had to eat enough of my own words about the headset. Okay. Uh, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. I'm sorry. This is Colossians 2, 16, if I didn't say. Uh, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. And with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died in the elemental spirits of the world to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let me uh, pray and we'll jump in here. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. As always, it's just so awesome. Thank you for giving it to us, Lord. Thank you for trusting us with it. Um, I say us because though I have been given the privilege of unpacking it this time, it's uh, it's in the hands of all of us who are believers, Lord. And, and I pray that we honor it as your word and not our own. Um, Lord, I pray you pour out your spirit now and speak clearly through all of us uh, from what your word has to say. And I say all of us, myself included. I'm a student as well. I love your word, Lord. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I remember, and yes, I'm going to date myself here, but I remember my first cassette 
that I had uh, that was actually mine. We had some records when I was younger, but my first personal thing of music was a cassette. And I had ZZ Top's Eliminator, I'll never forget it, and 1984 by Van Halen. Those were my two kind of first ones. And yes, I know I'm dating myself, but I'll never forget my dad seeing that Van Halen cassette sitting on top of my Bible one time. It was on my desk. My Bible was there. It was on top, and he kind of flipped out, like the imagery of this this cassette on top of my Bible. But the truth was that, you know, and I told him this, that I didn't care about the, the words or any of that. I just loved the guitars, and I loved the beat, and I loved the sound. I just loved it. And, uh, and I meant that. That was truth. But uh, before I knew it, I, I knew every word before that much time had passed. I got to where I knew every word, even if I didn't know what they were talking about. I still knew what they were saying. Um, and I would claim it didn't define me. Um, and that may have been true initially, but a few years later, that began to change because you begin to look at my life a few years later and I'm playing guitar. I'm in a band. I'm partying like crazy. And I'm sleeping around. I'm doing drugs. Now, I'm not blaming Van Halen. I'm not going down all that road. Nor am I blaming music in general. I'm not doing any of that. Regardless of the genre or style, I'm not trying to do that. It was my decision to become influenced by what I was hearing. Okay? Um, It was my choice to accept a lifestyle that reflected what I was being taught through those voices that I made a priority in my life. And that's similar to how Paul's challenging the Colossian believers in this passage that we're looking at. Uh, it, it is so applicable to us. So today we're going to kind of look at what, what are you listening to? What, what is it that you're listening to? And there's tons of voices that suggest that our behavior, our obedience, our sacrifice, etc., etc., is what will grant us true salvation. These voices are everywhere. However, in Christ alone we are fully saved it's already done it's already happened by his grace alone through his finished work on the cross and listen that's what i want you to hear today because that should build such love for him in your life that it drives your behavior your obedience and your sacrifices all right we're going to kind of look at three voices here that paul points out in the text self-doubt self-satisfaction and self-denial, okay? So I'm going to ask you right up front. Self, self-doubt, self-satisfaction, self-denial. Which one are you listening to? Or are you listening to all of them? What are they making you believe? What are those things making you believe? So let's start with self-doubt. Verse 16, Therefore let no one, no one, pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let me jump in here before I go into too too deep and just point out right up front that Paul's not saying judgment is wrong on all fronts. He's not saying that. In fact, the most quoted passage on judgment probably is from Christ in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, Judge not unless you be judged yourself. But he goes on to say, because the same measure you use to judge another will be used against you. So he's not saying in all cases, everything's permitted, anything goes. He's not saying that. He's just saying that you have to apply the same measure to yourself that you judge others by. So if your measure is the word of God, then yes, 
you know, hold each other accountable to that. But even beyond that, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 5.12, you can look it up in your own time, Paul notes that believers are supposed to judge believers um, in order to keep us all accountable. So, so he's not saying that. The judgment that's happening here is in questions of food, drink, regard, all these things. The judgment here is causing self-doubt instead of promoting godliness or instead of calling to repentance or any of that. It's doing the opposite. It's causing self-doubt. It's forcing people to doubt if they're good enough or if they're doing well enough to please God. And, and Paul says those things are just a shadow. Now, Paul's not addressing those three things specifically. The foods, the festivals, the Sabbath. He's, he's not isolating those. What he's saying is he's summarizing all of the law. The law of Moses, what majority of the Old Testament here. He's kind of summarizing it all in those things. So let's make a few things clear about the law. And we don't have time to do this right now. I'd love to have this conversation with you. Uh, anytime you'd like, you can hit me up again, email me, text me, call me, I don't care. But for the sake of the moment, let's take kind of a bird's eye view on a few things regarding the law. So you can relieve yourself of all the self-doubt that you have if it's related to feeling like you have to keep the law. Okay? So a few things. First of all, number one, it was for a particular people and a particular time in history. It was given to the Jewish people to set the Jewish people apart. All right, that's one point to begin with. So there's a clear distinction between Jew and Gentile throughout all of the Old Testament into the Gospels and even into the launch of the church until Paul sets a lot of that language straight because the law separated them. God gave the law to the people that were the Jewish people and the Jewish people entered into a covenant with God accepting that law. So uh, number two. There's no sections to the law, okay? This one's very important, and I realize it's debatable, and again, we can have this conversation later. But there's no sections, and what I mean by that is there's this section that must be kept at all times forevermore, but these sections over here are not important any longer. These are about festivals. They don't matter. This is the Ten Commandments. They matter. Uh, the idea that you can separate it, that's not the case. The, the law is only one law, Composes 613 commands, not 10, not 50, not 100, 613 commands that compose one law. Remember, James, Paul, others said it, but if you've broken one law, you've broken them what? All. You are a lawbreaker. You are a sinner because if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Point being, there's only one law. There's one, and we're free from it now. This is what Paul's saying. We're free from it, all of it, in Christ. We're free from all of it in Christ. Well, David, does that mean I can murder? Obviously not, because you're now in Christ, and he won't do that. Christ died. The point is Christ died for your sins, so the law no longer condemns you as a sinner. You're not under the law because the law doesn't condemn you as a sinner because Christ paid for the sins. Okay, uh, number three, and I'm just making a list here in no particular order, but number three, the law never saved anybody anyway. We've talked about this at length. I'm not going to go back into it quite, in a great bit of detail, but we'll go back into it a little bit. We're in Christ now. Some of the language that Paul uses, in Christ, we are seated with him, already seated with him in heavenly places. We're already a new creation 
in Christ. We are already possessing eternal life. All things that are already for us. So therefore, we're not subject to spiritual death anymore. We're not. So the law, which assigns spiritual death because of sin, it no longer has power over us. It can't. We're not subject to the law because we're not subject to death. The only thing the law can actually do is cause you to die. Uh, and, and we're not subject to that anymore. Therefore, we're not subject to the law. Everything the law, every, listen to me, everything that, listen, everything the law condemns in us, Christ died for. Everything the law condemns in us, Christ died for. If you're a believer, right? I give you some verses. Romans 3, verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No human being will be justified through the law. Boom. Romans 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's talking about that Old Testament law. For God has done what the law, law of Moses, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, our righteousness against the law, the law who condemns us, our righteousness before God comes from Christ, not anything related to us and the law. That's what he's saying. And that he goes on in verse 4 to say, uh, The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'm not going to look them up. You can look them up in your own time. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through about 23 or 24, somewhere in there. Paul outright says he's not under the law, but he is bound to Christ. It's not under the law, but he's bound to Christ. But now listen, before I go on, all that being said, you got to ask yourself, which law is it that you need to break to be more like Christ? So before you jump off and say, well, I'm not under the law anymore, you're not. But, but before you race there, which law is it you need to break to be more like Christ? And that's where we can go walk through those Ten Commandments again. And we can say, as well as others, well, in order for me to be like Christ, I need to covet. No, obviously not. So anyway, four. Another, another reason um, where he's coming from here, things to make clear about the law. There was a time, and this one's huge, okay? There was a time before the law of Moses. The book of Genesis, okay? For instance, the book of Genesis, there was no Sabbath command in there. I realize there's a model for it in creation, but there's no command of God to keep a Sabbath. It's not there. That comes in Exodus 13, with the man, I think it's 13 or 16, with the manna and when uh, God has already delivered the people from bondage through Moses, they're in the wilderness, that whole story. Uh, that's when the command for a Sabbath comes. There's no Passover, no Pentecost, none of those festivals in Genesis and no command to keep any of them. There's no food laws. All foods were permissible following the flood, which is in chapter 9 that God makes that known. Prior to that, it was all vegetables, but after that, animals as well, as long as they're dead. So all of Genesis, none of these laws are there. And you've got to keep in mind, that's not just a book of the Bible. That's 
centuries of generations of people that lived before there was ever a law. All right, before there was ever a law. Again, the law was for a specific nation for a purpose in time to set them apart. An example, the food loss, okay? Go read Daniel chapter 1 sometime, and you'll see that Daniel, because of his conviction to the food laws, and those are in Leviticus 12, where what they could eat and couldn't eat, because of his conviction to that, Daniel refuses to eat food from the king's table, the best of foods. And as a result of that, he stands out. He's set apart from all of the others and becomes a witness for God. The law, Paul says, was a shadow of things that were to come. Now, we're a body of believers, not a nation of people. Now, we're a body of believers, the body of Christ, a priesthood. We're separated and we're holy Not because of what we don't eat or don't touch, but because of who is within us. Because, as we've been talking about the whole time, Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. That's what sets us apart now from everyone else. Christ is the substance of the legal holiness that the people were aiming for here. All right? When they were trying to keep the law to gain holiness, that was just a shadow. Christ is the actual substance. But obeying and restraining from these things in order to find righteousness wasn't possible anyway. They couldn't have done it anyway that way. No more than a shadow can physically do anything. That's what he's saying. For instance, a mountain that casts a shadow on a valley, you can't climb the shadow and get to the top of the mountain. Nor can you, as if you could suspend it on the shadow, could you build a house on the shadow of a mountain and it holds you up like the mountain would itself. You can't do it. The, the, the fact of the matter is the shadow can't be or do anything. You know what I'm saying? And that's where he's going. Here, the one casting the shadow provides us with righteousness. The one casting the shadow is what provides us with righteousness, not the shadow. Christ is that substance. He's the one casting the shadow. That's what he's saying, okay? But regarding food, let me hit up another couple of things just because he brings it back up in verse 21. So let me just press it a moment. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says this in verse 18. He said to them, uh, Then Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. So what he's saying is it's not the fact that that this particular food is bad for you physically. It's the fact that your desire for it when God asks you not to touch it shows that your heart has a problem. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, and Mark notes that in saying this, Jesus was declaring all foods clean. Back to a Genesis moment, okay? And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8, Paul says this. Food will not commend us to God. Can't get much better than that. What you eat or don't eat will not make you better with God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But, he says, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Same thing he talks about in Romans 14. I got a very close friend who is a Muslim. Uh, Though he's not a Christian, 
I still have a great deal of respect for him and love him deeply. And when he comes over here, and he has been here before, I won't have any pork in the house because he's not going to have it. All right? Now, do I think that he's closer to God because he refuses to eat pork and I might eat it? Not at all. But out of respect for him, I'm not just going to wolf it down in front of him. All right? And that's where he's going. But the point being, the food doesn't commend you to God. It's not getting you any closer. So this is, listen, we need to stand on Jesus' word and not on the condemnation or the counsel of others when they point us back to the shadows. Hey, man, don't eat that, man. Don't touch that. Oh, you can't have this. Oh, you can't have that. Oh, you better make sure you come to church on Sunday. Every Sunday, don't miss a week. You better make sure you come on Saturday because Sunday's not actually the Sabbath and all of that noise. You got to keep these rituals. You got to keep these festivals. Listen, no one wants us to doubt our salvation more than the devil. I don't know how else to put that. Nobody wants us to doubt our salvation more than the devil. And if we spend all of our time worried about what did I eat? Oh, did I do it? Did I mess up? What did I drink? Did I, oh my gosh, I drank something. Or, or, or man, man, I missed church this week. Whatever it is that, that we feel like we have to be doing because we're hearing it from people, hoping that we want to escape these doubts and hoping that we're going to find some way to do that by being consistent. You know, we get, we're getting focused on the shadows to the point that we live in a state of doubt. And, 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 and listen, we're doubting ourselves the whole time. Self-doubt. And as a result, look, we might still be saved, but we're never going to be effective in ministry. You might still belong to Jesus, but you're not going to be effective because you're only focused on yourself and you're only struggling on yourself. But listen... Once you realize that self never did anything to obtain your salvation, you have no grounds for doubting self any longer. You can't doubt something that had nothing to do with the solution. Self never did anything to obtain your salvation. Stop doubting self. All right? We've embraced the one. We've embraced the one who cast the shadow. Not the shadow. We've embraced the one who is our salvation, not who is a picture of it. No more self-doubt, okay? Because all hope is in Christ alone. All, you either doubt Christ or you don't. You didn't do anything to deal with it, so no more self-doubt. But, but that's a struggle. Self-satisfaction, struggle number two here. Look at verse uh, 18. Let no one disqualify you, it's a heavy word, insisting on asceticism. Basically, that's like an extreme denial of indulgences. Think of uh, monks or, or, or people causing themselves to suffer. Uh, we'll come back to it in a minute. Worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Um, the sensuous mind is the key words here. All right, that, that's the key. It, it's making faith relative to denying what feels good or to fully embracing what feels good, what, what seems right. Uh, both of those approaches are irrelevant to true saving faith. Both of them. Seeking a faith here that's based on self-satisfaction it's always going to leave us empty. It's always going to leave us empty. And it honestly can't save anyone. 
It can't save anyone. So listen, who is it that's telling you these lies? If you're hearing it today out of my mouth coming from God's word, who is it that's telling you these lies? Who is it that's pushing you to believe something that might disqualify you? Not talking about stealing your salvation here. I'm not talking about that. But preventing you from receiving the reward that comes from living in Christ alone. There's a great reward from realizing that and living life that way. Who is it that's disqualifying you from that reward? Telling you lies. You here in the text, you is plural. So he's speaking to a group of believers, not an individual. This is not about losing your salvation when he says being disqualified. It's about being disqualified from the race. So the idea is you may still be on the team, but you're benched. You may still be on the team, but there's no joy in this race for you anymore. Because the goal is just there's no chance for you in the sense of the reward at the end of the race. You're still on the team. Paul notes here angels, visions, dreams, prophecies, these, all these kind of things. Galatians 1.8, Paul said this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Even if an angel tells you a truth that is contrary to this, and I'm not going there, but I can think right off the top of my head of three major religions, three major religions that are based off hearing from an angel. Um, but many people today, it's not about angels and stuff. It's just about, hey, I, I had a dream. I got a vision from God, this desire for people to be prophets or whatever. Listen, man, that's dangerous talk. I, I don't have time to go into it all. But I can tell you this right here. There are rules if you want to be a prophet. Okay? If you want to be a prophet, there's rules. Uh, and let me just point out, quick side note, I challenge you to find a prophet that had a wonderful, amazing life full of good news. Okay? But in any, biblically. But in any way, here, here's the rules. Okay? Let me just give you a few, a couple here. They're in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you've not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Basically, he's saying that if they make some kind of prophecy or they tell you they had a dream and it actually happens, fine, but if it happens and then they tell you this is coming from some other God, or this was my own wisdom and power, follow me, whatever. He says, don't listen to him. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, or do you love the prophet more? Do you love God with all that you have? In other words, you would recognize that, no, I don't care what you did, what you saw, or whether it came true or not. If you're not following God, I'm not going. Or do you love the prophet more? Then he goes on and he says, you shall walk after the Lord your God, fear him, keep his commandments, and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, verse 5. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Okay? So there's the consequences. If you want to be a prophet, be careful. There's the consequences. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. Same laws coming in there. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, God says, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, 
that same prophet shall die. So if you say something that God did not surely tell you to say, you're dead. That's what it says. And also, you know what? Listen, just like the law, we're not subject to these voices anymore. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Long time ago, this is in the first century when Hebrews was written, and he's saying, in times past, God spoke through prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. So the problem is, though, we don't find satisfaction in the words of Jesus. We don't find satisfaction in, in the Bible itself, in God's word. we got to have more than that. we we got to have more than that. And what's funny is Paul said that would happen. Self-satisfaction. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul said, preach the word, Timothy, preach the word. And then he says in verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers, for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. There it is. Plain as can be. Self-satisfaction. I want the faith I want. I want the religion I want. Uh, note, by the way, he contrasts that with the whole body being nourished together, growing together from the head, which is Jesus, on all that growth is from God. Look at the text. All that growth comes from God. 1 Corinthians twelve twelve, Paul wrote, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, Holy Spirit, we were all baptized. There it is again. We are, if you're a believer and you're part of the body, you, past tense, were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's already happened. Into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were, past tense, made to drink of one spirit. It's all an act that's occurred. Um, and the picture there that he's coming to is that picture, in, you can look it up in the Old Testament, when they would anoint the high priest or the king even, and they would pour oil over their head, and that oil would run down over the top of their head and over their beard and over their shoulders and down over their body, kind of cover their whole body. Christ is that head, and the Holy Spirit is that sense of oil that runs down over the body. And we, as part of that body, of which Christ is the head, we are covered in that Holy Spirit, sealed into his body. So rather than focusing on ourselves here and our personal satisfaction, our self-satisfaction, we need to listen to the head. We need to listen to Christ, and we need to join with the body and serve the head. That's what he's saying. Rather than seeking to serve ourselves at the expense of the rest of the body and contrary to the head, we need to serve the head with the body and let God grow us. So how do we do that? Well, I'd say the easiest thing is remind yourself, I'm dead to my own desires and I'm alive to Christ. I'm dead to my own desires. I'm alive to Christ. And no personal attempt, listen to me, remind yourself, no personal attempt to gain a a religious advantage is going to improve upon what Christ did. No attempt in me To gain a religious advantage is going to improve on what Christ did. He's already done far greater than I'll ever hope to do in gaining my salvation. I am dead to my own desires. I'm alive with Christ. And listen, this is the importance. Hear me clear on this. This is the importance of the local church. 
That's why I'm inviting you to come be part of what we're doing on Sunday nights and not just watch a video of me preaching. This is why you need the local church. You need to stay in his word. You need to be with the body. You need to be in a situation where others help you fall in love with the head and listen to the head and grow. All right. Lastly, self-denial. Self-doubt, self-satisfaction, self-denial is the last one. Verse 20. If, keyword. With Christ you died. So if you are in the body of Christ, you did die. So what he's saying is if in fact you did die and you are part of the body of Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, talked about that last week, then why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. It's funny, he points out that do not touch. That's almost like Eve in the garden. Do you remember? She added to God's word a little bit there. God said, the day you eat it, you'll die. Satan quizzed her about that, and she said, we're not even supposed to touch it. Kind of adding to God's word. Listen, we've been set free from all of that. If, in fact, you have died with Christ, that's how you've been set free from it. Verse 23, he says, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom. It seems to be smart. It makes sense. It seems like it's a good thing in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. There's that word. We'll look at it again. And severity to the body. But they are of no value. They look really good. They look really smart. Seems like a smart thing. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So asceticism, mentioned it once already, it's self-denial. Okay, but in an attempt to be more religious, like it's a it's a it's a an arrogance almost kind of self denial. It's a, it's a it's a it's a humility of uh, of attacking yourself in order to try to be closer to God. Jesus kind of noted or hinted at it a little bit in Matthew six, verse sixteen. He said, "When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others." Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Their reward is everybody says, oh, man, he's so holy because he looks, he's, doing, he's having such a hard time with this. Bless him, man. He's, he's really beating himself up hard on this fast. Um, he says, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. So the idea is it's not about appearances. But Jesus is also making a point that that the fast in this case is about your relationship to the Lord and something personal between you and God. It's not about you trying to beat yourself up to be more holy. Self-denial here, it's wild. Of all of them, I think this is the most dangerous one because this one is strangely attractive. Strangely attractive. It makes us feel like we're getting punished for our failures by punishing ourselves. And in some strange way, that makes us feel like, well, then God's not going to punish us for it because I, I took care of it. I handled it for you, God. Beat myself up. And obviously, he's going to be pleased with my humility in the way that I handled it. Uh, not to throw him under the bus, but it's just, it is what it is. The Roman Catholic Church here has been a, a, a huge game player in this to the point that they've created separation between God and, and man even greater in, in the sense of praying to saints or praying to Mary. And it seems like a humble approach. It seems like it is, I, you know, I'm such a sinner, I could never actually approach God. So, so I have somebody between me and him. 
H.A. Ironside gives an example of a friend that he had that was a, a Roman Catholic and asked about praying to Mary. He said this, I'm too sinful, too utterly unworthy to go directly to our blessed Lord. He's infinitely above me, so pure and holy. His majesty is so great that I would dare not to prostrate myself directly before him. But I know that no one has such influence with the son as his mother. And I know that too... I know, too, that a pure woman's tender heart feels for sinners in their sorrows and failures. Therefore, I go to the blessed Virgin Mary, and I pour out my heart to her as to my own mother, and I plead with her to speak for me to her holy, spotless son. And I feel sure that she will influence him as no other could. Now, as humble as that sounds, it contradicts God's word. Number one, it contradicts God's word. On top of that, it weakens Jesus' work on our behalf. The cross becomes weakened because he's not a good enough any longer. And, and besides all of that, it lowers his position as our Savior beneath others. I'm not going to go to them all, First Timothy 2, 5. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 4.16, come boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly before the throne of grace as a believer. No angel, no saint, no spirit, nothing needed but Christ. Martin Luther, great movie called Luther. I encourage you to look it up and watch it on his life. It's really, really good. But his life was wrecked by grace, just wrecked by it, because he had a life of beating himself in the Catholic Church, again, a very legalistic time period before the Reformation, and he was beating himself. He would crawl upstairs of the church till he was bleeding, trying to gain some kind of forgiveness and peace with God for his, his sins. And then he read and he realized grace in things like Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He, things like my grace is sufficient for you um, wrecked him. Think about it like this. Jesus said, come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you a whip to beat yourself with. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. I will give you loneliness and starvation. No, I'll give you what? Rest. 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 Paul mentions self-made religion here. Uh, I've had I don't know how many conversations, uh, particularly with uh, atheists in general, but I could never believe in a God that would blank, fill in the blank. Send people to hell, let children die. I don't know. Fill in the blank. I, I could never worship a God like that. Does that mean that you can design one better? Is that what you're saying? You can design one better? Does the fact that you don't like an aspect of God therefore mean he doesn't exist? Hey, you know what? I really don't like the way you know your wife speaks to you, so she doesn't really exist anymore. Is that, what, is that what you're saying? He doesn't exist because you don't like an aspect? People say, if I was God, I wouldn't let this happen. Well, then you're making yourself to be God. Maybe we should worship you. That's what that, that's what that says. That's self-made religion. And here's the deal. Man is instinctively religious. Even atheists, 
We are instinctively seeking something to worship. If it's not God, it's sex, it's money, it's fame, it's glory, it's uh, success, it's, you know, self, me, worship me. Romans 1 makes it pretty clear. We're all looking to worship something except for God, <laughs> except for him. And the enemy's prepared like this buffet for worship-seeking people. Worship-seeking souls, here's a buffet for you to choose from. And the sad part is, Paul's hidden up here. We as believers find ourselves inching up to that buffet too. Or being walked there by others. You know, my way to freedom from addiction, I, I'm not going to my story, but I had a pretty hefty pass of drug addiction. My way to freedom from drug addiction was not through rehab and other things. I'm not hating any of those. I'm just saying that wasn't my way. Because my problem was every time I tried to quit, my focus was on don't touch it, don't touch it, don't. Man, we've been this many days since we touched it. We've been this many days since we touched it. We've been this many days since we touched it. It is all I'm focused on. Whether I'm trying to avoid it or not is irrelevant. It, whatever the drugs of the day were, whether it was LSD or cocaine or marijuana or whatever my brain was focused on those trying to avoid them and when i finally said i'm not going to try to do that anymore i'm not going to try to quit any of this i'm going to look at you jesus and i'm going to follow you wherever you go i'm going to pursue you i'm going to do everything i can to get close to you and i'm not looking at these anymore when i did that everything changed and that's what we have to do we have to focus on Jesus. It's not about self-denial. It's about falling in love with him. That's what Paul's trying to say. And the flesh will find itself powerless when we do that. Powerless. It's not about laws. It's about a relationship. Jesus would put it like this. Excellent verse to memorize. A couple of verses. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The only requirement there is that you stay in Christ. There's no list of do's or don'ts there. There is only abide in me. Live in Christ. That's what he's saying. So two things to remember from all this today. First of all, remember remember that rather than starving yourself and beating yourself, rather than depriving yourself and restricting yourself, Paul gives an alternative. And this is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't worry about not breaking this law or breaking that law or do I eat this or don't I eat that or do I drink this or don't I drink that or do I go here or don't I go here. He says, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. It won't happen. If, in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Plain it can be. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, in verse, I jump to verse 24, those who belong to, Je to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So don't just say I live by the Spirit. You better be walking where he's walking and following his lead and where he goes. And then finally, uh, this, is, this is the second thing, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. My second thing would be we need to focus fully on his word. 
We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to focus fully on His Word rather than surrounding ourselves by other voices. Jeremiah twenty three twenty eight, great verse. God said, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. One is worthless. One is something you throw on the ground. One is something that can feed you. One is something that can feed you. Let the prophet who has a dream tell Go on, tell your dream, whatever. But hey, do you know the word of God? Teach me the word of God. Speak it faithfully. God's word does not need your help or input. You need it. You understand? So maybe, uh, maybe you think, maybe you think you're beyond his reach. Maybe you feel like uh, God's not interested in saving somebody like you. Like your life has been this disaster, or maybe it's a disaster right now, and you think God, God ain't got no time for me. God can't fix what I'm in. God can't handle what I'm in. It's not even about laws or anything else. I'm I'm not worth it. Maybe you've been trying to make yourself better by denying yourself things in order to try to get God to pay attention to you. Maybe self-satisfaction has led you to this place where you are totally empty. You, you continue to satisfy yourself and you come out of it with nothing. Maybe you can't even get there because you have no confidence and you doubt your every move. Listen to me. If this is you, let me give you a gift. The cross was enough. The cross was enough. Give your life to Jesus. Stop trying. Trust me. The cross was enough. Jesus, here it is, man. Jesus, I love you. I trust you. Teach me to know you. Take my sin. Take my sin. Forgive me. Put your Holy Spirit in me. Make me part of your family. I want to be in a body that is learning and following you that has support and love. Man, however you word it, I don't care. That's what you're trying to say. If you do that, his word says he is faithful and just to forgive. He casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. And it says he seals you with his Holy Spirit. He dwells within you and will never leave you or forsake you. That's as good as it gets. And that's because the cross was enough. If that's you today, man, shout at us, please. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. I don't care where you are, but especially if you're here in the East Valley. If you're already part of the family, I say this every week, but if you're part of the family already, you're part of the body, stop trying. Stop trying and allow for him to show you just how much he loves you. Just take a step back and let him show you how much he loves you. Rather than looking for which thing you can do or what thing you don't need to do, rather than guarding the door and also trying to build the house all at the same time, rather than doing all that, just look for opportunities to be with him. Just look for opportunities to be with him whether it's in his word or through prayer or through discussions with other brothers and sisters, opportunities to be with him and then find out what happens. I bet you it'll blow your mind. He's an amazing God who loves you very much. Let me pray. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for your word. God, I say that all the time, but it's never cliche. I'm really so grateful for your word. I pray today, Lord, that you help us 
take what you've said and pour it into our hearts. And when I say you, I do mean you. It is your word, not mine. And I pray that I learn from it as well, that I carry it throughout my days. Prevent us, Lord, from being pulled apart, pulled away by uh, these different things, whether it's self-doubt, self-satisfaction, self-denial, all these things, Lord. Help us just be faithful to a relationship with you. Help us abide in you. Help us walk by your spirit, Lord, that our lives glorify you in each and every way and that we can receive that reward that comes from finishing the race. And we love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.